The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Let's look at Proverbs chapter 15, and I'm going to read one verse of scripture, and then we're going to, we're going to open with prayer. Proverbs 15.3. We read here, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time that you've given us this morning to come together to, to fellowship with one another. Uh, which you desire that we do, and also to fellowship in your word. Teach us today, Lord. Instruct us. Give us wisdom. We're not going to talk about things that everyone doesn't already know, but we so easily forget. So help us today, Lord. Strengthen us in our hearts and minds, and use this time to glorify yourself, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been looking at the attributes of God. And so far, we've we've looked at number one that God is self-existent, and of all things in the known universe, in all of all things that we historically have ever heard of or, or know about, everything had a beginning, but not God. God is self-existent. God has never had a beginning. We looked at number two that God is self-sufficient. Every one of us depends on somebody else for something. None of us, you've heard the old saying, no man is an island. Everyone needs someone, but not God. God is self-sufficient. He needs no one. He needs nothing to be complete. Uh, We look, number three, at the fact that God is eternal. And this is a mind-boggling fact to me, uh, that God has never, ever, ever had a beginning. I just can't, and, and, and anyone who would come to me and say, I fully understand that, I, I'd, I'd come real close to calling them a liar, because this is incomprehensible. None of us here can comprehend something not having a beginning. Everything has a beginning, but not God. He's eternal. He, he was eternal in the past, and he's eternal in the future. Now, you and I, if we are truly children of God, we will live forever. We have eternal life. But we didn't, have, we didn't have an eternal past. And that's the uniqueness of God. He, he was e- eternal in the past as well as eternal in the future. In fact, you and I wouldn't have eternal life. We would not have an eternity were it not for God. And then when we looked at the fact that God is infinite. That there is no place. That there is no place that where God is not in fullness. In every place we could find. So we're going to look at more of his attributes this morning. So number five on your study sheets, we're going to look at the fact that God is omnipresent. Now this, while, while this relates to his infinite state, it doesn't, it's not the same. There are differences between being infinite and being omnipresent. But we, we read just a moment ago in Proverbs 15, the eyes of the Lord are in every place. Beholding the evil and the good. Now, God does not sit in heaven with a huge bank of, of TV screens on the wall. And he doesn't sit there and look at the screens and see every one of us and see exactly what we're all doing. 
He's here. God is here now. But he's also in India right now. And he's also in Africa right now. And he's in Australia right now. In fact, he's on Jupiter right now. God is everywhere. He's omnipresent. There is no place. There is no place where God does not exist. The theologian A.H. Strong defines this attribute of omnipresence as follows. He writes, God and the totality of his essence, without diffusion or without expansion, without multiplication or division, penetrates and fills the universe in all its parts. The omnipresence of God thus means he is present everywhere with his whole being at the same time. The real way to look at all of this is that we are all in God. It's not that God is in the world, it's that the world is in God. And he encompasses all things and he sees all things simultaneously. The great danger to avoid, though, in in correctly understanding this attribute is the grievous error of pantheism. How many of you know what pantheism is? Any of you? This is becoming a very popular belief in our world today. Pantheism says that God is not only everywhere, but that everything is God. The trees are God. The grass is God. The birds are God. The fish are God. The pews are God. This pulpit is God. The Bible is God. My notes are God. Everything is God. And that, that's what brings about this attitude that, and while I believe in being good stewards of what God has given us, this, this is what brings about this fanatical attitude that we have around the world today uh, that we find in so many different groups. Uh, I, I don't want to get off into that because that's a tangent I don't want to go down. Maybe, I, maybe we'll teach about that sometime. But this is false. Now, God is everywhere. We've already established that. But everything is not God. So there are two aspects we should keep in mind when we study the omnipresence of God. And I'd like to examine those for just a few moments this morning. First, letter A, we need to consider God's eminence. God's eminence. Now, this, of course, refers to God's indwelling nature. Hence, God is in everything. It also refers to God's inherent nature. Therefore, God controls all things. And this we know to be true. We know that nothing exists apart from God. Nothing. Even the most microscopic creature on the earth today. A little mite, a little dust mite crawling around in, your, in, in our carpets right here, right now. Little bitty, 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 bitty creatures. 
God knows about them. Not only did he know about them, he created them. And he created them for a reason. You know what they are? They're the earth's vacuum cleaner. That's right. You know, we'd, we'd probably, were it not for mites, we would probably be standing in about four feet of dying and dead skin cells this morning. Who do you think consumes all those skin cells you shed all the time? Huh? Unless you have one of those little robot machines that go around your floor sweeping all the time. God, God, listen, God, God is in everything. He controls all things. There's nothing that happens without the knowledge of God. God didn't look at me this morning and say, oh, oh where'd you come from? How did he get over there? Anybody know how he got here? No, no, God, God's in control of all things. His eminence. He's eminent. John chapter 1, we read verses 9 through 12. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him. And the world knew him not. He came into his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. He was in the world. He created the world, but the world knew him not. That's the truth. I enjoy watching um, the Science Channel. I, I, I love science. Now, I view science from a Christian perspective, not from an evolutionist perspective. But I still enjoy watching science programs. So I sit there at night in, in my chair and I'm watching how the universe works. Any of you ever seen that program, How the Universe Works? And I laugh. I laugh at some of their conjectures. How, you know, the scriptures come so much alive. Professing themselves to be wise, they became as what? Fools. They know not God. But God is in the world. God is not only in the world, but he is acting within his creation. He controls his creation. He, it is God that controls things. Listen, any of you see that movie 2012? Any of you see that movie? Don't be ashamed if you did. Don't worry. It's all right. The one where they, they, the world was ending and, and the world completely flooded. That, I don't worry about the world flooding. I don't worry about anything because I'm not going to be here when God destroys the world. He's going to take me out of here before that. But um, I, I, I told my wife, I said, it's so foolish all you got to do is open the Bible and see that God said he would never destroy the earth by flood again. He's in control. The earth's going to be consumed by fire, by the way. You want to worry about something that might actually happen? You better look up because one of these days there's going to be a big old meteor or comet come down and crash on this earth. But God's going to consume the world by fire. But these men are fools. They profess themselves to have all this knowledge and, and all of this and, and but yet God is in control. He's in total control. This, this truth of God's eminence is what 
upholds his, his authority and creation. In Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, we read, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. There it is, his eminence. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. It's not my life. It's his. I was bought with a price. My life is not my own. And Paul said for me to live as Christ and to die is gain. So the life we live, we live in the eminence of God. God is in us. And it is God who, who, who dwells in us and works through us. To do the things that he would have us do. There's nothing I can do apart from the presence of God. Nothing. I am never out of the presence of God. And neither are you. And by the way, you don't have to be saved for that to be true. The the unsaved man is also never out, out of the presence of God. Luke 8, 17. For nothing is secret that shall not be made manifest. Neither anything hid that shall not be known and come abroad. Now, this is a sobering thought. Sometimes I when I when I consider this thought. I think, woe is me. Because it doesn't matter who you are in this room this morning. Every one of us has have done things we're ashamed of. And we might have thought we got away with it. But we didn't. You know, you realize everything you did before you were saved is, is gone. Never, never, it's never going to be seen. It's gone. But do you realize everything you've done since you've been saved? It's going to be revealed to all people. To everyone. When we stand... When we stand in the judgment seat of Christ, not the great white throne judgment, that's for the lost, but when the, when the Christian stands at the judgment seat of Christ, everything we've, every word we've spoken, every thought we've had, every deed we've done since the moment we were saved to that present time will be reviewed and we'll have to, we will have to give an account for that. And it's not going to be a private viewing. It's going, to be, it's going to be revealed before all who are present. Now that's a sobering thought, isn't it? If you knew, if you knew that everything you ever did, thought, or said was going to be, was going to be recorded, do you think you'd be a little bit more well-behaved? I, I, I know I would. But you see, I already know it's all being recorded, but my stupid mind forgets that. Yeah, so you better, you, better, you better take thought this morning because everything we've done is going, to be, it's going to come out. Nothing, it says, nothing is secret that shall not be made manifest, neither anything hid that shall not be known and come abroad. So we're talking, that was God's eminence. But there's another thought we have to 
consider when we think about the omnipresence of God. And that is letter B, God's transcendence. God's transcendence. (laughs) Now, transcendent means exceeding usual limits. It means extending or lying beyond the limit of ordinary experience. It's being beyond the limits of all possible experience and knowledge. Being beyond comprehension. Transcending the universe or any material existence. God is transcendent in his omnipresence. The psalmist in Psalm 139 wrote this. Let's all look at it. Turn with me to Psalm 139 verse 7. 139 verse 7. You see, we have this. We have, we have faith in the fact that the Bible says God will never leave us nor forsake us. But sometimes we tend to forget that God sees everything. When I, when I, when I got saved, now my wife's not here this morning, so I'm going to tell this story, but she knows it anyway. I've told it many times. But I was a smoker. And it's a stupid thing to do. I can't think of anything more stupid than smoking. I really can't. Well, maybe drinking, uh, you know, drugs. But, you know, they're all on the same level of stupidity. But anyway, I wanted to quit, but I, I just couldn't seem to find the, the, the willpower to quit. So when I got saved, I, I knew. And I said, Lord, from now on, when I get an urge to smoke a cigarette, I'm going to, whatever I'm doing, I'm going to stop. I'm going to kneel down and I'm going to pray until you take it away. And, you know, at first I did that and it was working. It was working. But one day I was a, I was a contractor and one day we were, built, we were going to build a house and we were laying the, the concrete, the foundation. And I had hired my, the man who had led me to Christ, Mike Alpha. I had hired him. He worked for me. And that morning, it was real early in the morning, the concrete layers were there, and I was there, and no one else was there yet. And one of them pulled out a cigarette. And I walked over to him and said, hey, buddy, could I, could I bum one of those cigarettes? He said, sure. He handed me the cigarette. I was, see, you see, I was going to hurry up and smoke it before Mike got there. I was going to hurry up and smoke it before Mike came, so no one would see me smoke that cigarette. And I took it, and he, he, he lit it for me. And I stopped and I thought, wait a minute. This is stupid. It doesn't matter whether Mike sees me or not. God sees me. And I took that thing and I threw it on the ground. And I stomped out. That guy looked at me like, would you borrow a cigarette just to put it out? But I put it out and that was it. I've never again. And that's been 30. What is it? 33, 30. That was in 19... It was 19. Yeah, it's been a long time. I think it's been 39 years. But for 39 years, I haven't had, I haven't had even a desire to smoke cigarettes. Look at Psalm 139, verse 7. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell... Behold, thou art there. 
If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall, shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee, for thou hast possessed my reins. Thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. Do you see that? In my mother's womb. The Lord was present with me. Do you think abortion's wrong? In my mother's womb. God is above and beyond his creation. There's no limit to God's ability to move through time and space. God is not limited by time. There's no corner of the universe which is void of the presence of God. So unlike all creation, God is omnipresent. But then this morning, I'd also like us to look at number six, the fact that God is omnipotent. God is omnipotent. In Revelation chapter 19. Turn with me there. Let's, let's go there. We got time. Revelation chapter 19. So you see, I'm trying to avoid preaching right now. Because this is teaching time. But boy, there's a lot of good subjects we've already hit on. I'd like to park and preach for a while. But I'm not going to do that this morning. Revelation 19, look at verse 5. And a voice came out of the throne saying, Praise our God, all ye his servants, and ye that fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude. And as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thunderings, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. In Genesis chapter 18, verse 14, we read, Is there anything too hard for the Lord? At the time appointed, I will return unto thee according to the time of life. And Sarah shall have a son. In Genesis chapter 18, we know the story. The Lord had proclaimed that Sarah was going to bear Abraham's son. Abraham was 90, Sarah was 80. And Sarah chuckled beneath her breath in the, in the tent saying, <laughs> Abraham's an old man, how, how am I going to have a, a baby, a child with Abraham? And the Lord heard her. He heard her. And he said, is anything too hard for the Lord? This attribute of omnipotence means that God is all-powerful. It means that God can do anything if it can be done and it does not contradict his own nature. You ever been asked the question, can God create a rock so heavy that even he can't pick it up? You ever hear that question? Huh? Philosophy classes in college, I used to ask that. If, if God is real, 
and he's all powerful, can he create a rock so big that even he can't pick it up? Well, the answer is no. No, he cannot create a rock so big that he can't pick it up. Why? Well, because the very nature of this act would be impossible to perform. God cannot lie or steal, for these would contradict his own nature. So, while God can create a rock, he cannot create one that he himself can't pick up, because he's all-powerful. And no matter how big it gets, he can still pick it up. And he, but he wouldn't do that because it contradicts his own nature. Here are some areas in which God's omnipotence can be clearly seen. I'll spend the last few minutes looking at these. Letter A. His omnipotence can be seen over nature. Over nature itself. How, how is that? Well, first of all, he separates light from darkness. He has the power over, over light and darkness. Genesis 1-4, and God saw the light that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. His power is, 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 is over, over anything in the universe, and, and he controls the light and the darkness. Letter B, next, he separates the seas from the dry land. Genesis 1-7, and God made the firmament. And divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. You know, I don't know what the early earth looked like. I don't know. Science tries to tell us what, what it looked like. They, they claim our oceans were, were brought with water brought here by comets. Can, you fig- can anyone explain that to me? How a rock that's on fire coming down from the sky is going to crash onto a, a lava-ridden planet and the water's not going to evaporate. Makes no sense. Of course, now what they're saying is that the water was con- contained inside the Earth's crust and it just oozed up. Wow, my grandsons know that's hogwash. You see, I don't know what the early earth looked like. I don't know. God will show us one day. But the Bible says that the firmaments, which is the areas above the earth, is where all the water was. And God watered the earth with the dew each morning. But during the flood, he released the firmaments and they came down and flooded the earth. And that's what I believe. But again, I'm trying to get into preaching, so let's get away from that. He separates the seas from the dry land. Next, he measures the oceans in his hands. Isaiah 40 and verse 12. Who hath measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and meted out heaven with the span and commended the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. See, God is so powerful, he's, he's above all these things. God, God, is so, God can scoop up all the oceans in the palm of his hand and contain all of it right there. He has authority, letter B on your study sheets. 
His omnipotence gives him authority over man. Daniel chapter 4, we read, The king spake and said, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty? While the word was in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven saying, O king Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken, the kingdom is departed from thee, and they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and seven times shall pass over thee, until thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will. God has authority over men. His power is above man's ability to govern even himself. God's omnipotence gives him authority, letter C, over the angels. In Psalm 103, we read, Bless the Lord, ye his angels that excel in strength, that do his commandments, hearkening unto the voice of his words. Now, I'm not going to get off into angel study. But let me, let me tell you this. You would not want to mess with an angel. Angels are, are powerful beings. And God created three powerful angels. Anyone know their names? Michael. Gabriel. Who's the third one? Lucifer. That's right. That's right. The Bible even tells us that Michael and Lucifer struggled all the day. They fought each other and neither one could, could triumph the other. God has the authority and the power over angels. Uh, letter D, he has the authority over Satan. <laughs> That's right. Satan is no threat to God. Satan, all of the power he possesses and all of his minions are no threat to God. In Job chapter 1 and verse 12, we read, And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power, only upon himself put not forth thy hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. Then in Job chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, Satan came back to the Lord. And this is the second meeting. He's, and the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, he is in thine hand, but save his life. So went Satan forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto his crown. Satan was subject unto God. He could not do what God does not give him permission to do. Satan wanted to kill Job is what he wanted to do. But God said no. First, God, Satan said, take everything away from Job that you've given him and he'll curse you to his face, to your face. God said, go ahead, take everything he's got, but leave him alone. Don't touch him. Satan had no authority to, to, to disobey the Lord and touch Job. So he went and took everything he had, everything. All his wealth, all his, all his children, everything. And Job still didn't, wouldn't, wouldn't curse God. So he came back to God. He said, well, sure, you take away his possession. But skin for skin, take away his health and watch what he does. God said, all right, go ahead, take his health. But you can't take his life. So he went and he afflicted Job with great boils. Elephantitis, they say. So much so that Job was sitting on the, on, the, on the garbage heap, on the ash heap, 
with a piece of broken pottery, scraping the boils to burst him open and relieve the pressure and relieve the pain he was suffering. Yet Job would not, would not curse God. Satan has no authority apart from God. Letter E, God has authority over death. Now that's a great comfort to us this morning. We are going to die. As it is written, it is appointed unto man once to die. But after this, the judgment. You you and I are going to die. There's no doubt about it. I used to tell my high school students, the day I was born, I began dying. And that's true. From From a scriptural point of view, the moment I was born, I began dying. In other words, the clock started. I only have so much time. You better use it wisely, young people. Use it wisely because you don't get it back. Over death, he has power over death. Revelation 1.18, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of hell and of death. Hebrews chapter 2. We read, for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Yes, God has power over death. Death has no power over me. Death does not threaten me. Or I don't feel threatened by death, let me say that. Because for me to live as Christ, to die is gain. When I die, I'll be in the presence of the Lord for all eternity. What's so bad about dying? Now, I mean, you know, there's, there's some bad ways to go. I don't, I don't want to die a gruesome, horrifying, painful death. I, I, I'd like the Lord to just maybe take me in my sleep, something like that. You know. But I have no fear of death. I, I don't fear dying. I have no no worries. Death cannot hold me. The grave cannot contain me. God has power and authority over all these things. So we see the omnipotence of God. We see the omniscience of God. Let's let's you and I live our life in victory. Let's live our life knowing that we are in the presence of the Lord, that we are under his authority. That he has power over all things and only he controls our destiny. He controls our path. Let's live with that confidence and with that courage. And let's let it it flow through us and shine forth to all around us. You work with people. You go to the market with, with people. You live on your street with people all around you who don't know Christ. You are the light that God has placed in that place. You are to shine forth. You are to carry that light into a dark world and show all who you know the power and authority of Christ. All right, guys. Thank you for being here this morning. And with that, you are dismissed.
Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Rohnert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.